My name is Aram, my pronouns are he, him, and welcome to God's Fall. My name is Michael Loving, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm playing Arunivar, a level one elven wizard. Arunivar is in his late hundreds. Which for us is the equivalent of what? Not quite like 30, I imagine. Arunivar comes from Ryland. Yes. So tell me a little bit how you perceive Ryland. Our Univar is very much an elves first sort of high elf. Elves and dwarves, right? Because it's an elven and dwarf it, society. It, Ryland is an elven and dwarven society. But even within that, you're kind of a little bit more elf. Absolutely. Our, our Univar feels like elves have been kind of given the shit end of the stick as far as the civilized races of Kalgun go. The gods created the dwarves. They gave the dwarves magic. The elves just kind of sprung into an existence as a byproduct of another act of creation. None of the gods except for Ayus have ever really shown them any favor. And then when they finally like kind of took their fate into their own hands and decided, all right, well, fine. If, if the gods are just going to shit on us, then we'll just steal magic from the dwarves. The gods who had never cared what they did before that point suddenly decided this is wrong and we're going to punish your in your race for this outrageous transgression. brutally right and and because of the way that elves you know reproduce their they're like slaves to these ironwood trees they live for a thousand years unless they are careless with their birth tree at which point they could live less time than a human so they're always completely beholden to these and not just them right there's a whole generation because usually they come from the same tree yeah i mean their entire family could be wiped out if they have like a like a family tree a literal family tree it's literally a family tree it's exactly what it is yeah our univar feels like you know the elves are this race of thousand year lived beings of vast intelligence vast patience more forward thinking than the humans or the dwarves because they live so much longer than humans and dwarves it's not forward thinking to them it's just within their lifetime. They're more patient. They have, you know, a longer like scope and things. Humans are ambitious. They're short-sighted. They're, they're rash. rash. They'll, they'll completely deplete an area of resources with no thought process for what happens when we disrupt the balance of this ecosystem. That's just, it's not a... They're literally blind to it. Yeah. They can't see it. Elves can see fundamental change. Certainly the elves would see the rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall of human civilizations. Cause I mean, the, one of the longest, one of the longest single running civilizations in earth's history was like Rome. And that was only a couple hundred years before it just completely collapsed. Think of everything we would have seen in the last thousand years. Every country we know of as a country, basically. Yeah. So the idea to our Univar that elves aren't the sort of dominant ruling class is just patently absurd. Not from a specifically like, we're better than all of them. We just perceive more than all of them. Everyone has their own talents, but as far as like long-term maintenance, yeah, obviously elves should be in charge because they're the only ones that see long-term. That makes sense. But because we're like enslaved to the ironwood trees, we can't you know, live away from them because it's how we get children. We can only have children when a tree deigns to give us a child. If we ever, our universe is very frustrated by what he perceives as the plight of the elves. You're even before the first, like smaller gods war. You're before the temple. Yeah. You're before the union was built. Oh. It's just in the planning stages. It's just a twinkle in the God of chaos's eye. Now you've seen the maps of Ryland. You know, it's on the edge of that it's basically along the rim of a, not the rim, but it's like, it's, it's like midway down a uh, ancient 
uh, and long dormant volcano. Right. And it's so dormant that the bowl has filled with water. Yeah, and ironwood trees grow at the top. It's the only other place on Kalgan that ironwood trees grow. Now, here's a question. Well, almost the only other yeah, place. Yeah, I was going to say, this is this is pre-world storm, so I presume that there are ironwood groves all over Kalgan. This is the original birthplace of the elves, but it's not the power center of the elves. And when we go into the other maps that'll be in the Rise book, the elves were, for, were further south. There were just larger forests that they took over and established firmer colonies and eventually their kingdom. So the, the Ironwood was always kind of like their spiritual home. Right. And many elves would still pilgrimage there, especially ones that had relatives that were still from birth trees. And sometimes they had to pilgrimage there because no other birth trees would give them children. They had to return. Right. But it was never a kingdom. It was, it was never really a center of power. Ryland is a kingdom that was formed by the dwarves and the elves as a response to humanity and all of their bullshit. I mean, I'm not supporting their viewpoint. I think they're wrong. I think everyone should learn to live together. But if I was as forward-thinking as the elves and as relatively forward-thinking as, as the dwarves would be for, for living about half their lifespan, and for the way that dwarves think in general about permanence and building for the long term, because they're very clan-oriented, I could see how they would look at human beings as a threat and how some of the more radical ones would see them as like an infestation. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> like yeah. locusts, basically. They just descend on an area, they consume all the resources and then move on. And or they don't. They just expand and consume more and take up more land and claim more and more. It's like it's this constant Agent Smith from the Matrix. Humanity is a virus. And it's gotta be happening quick. Yeah. In their eyes, they must be moving very fast. And that's gotta be scary. And so I can see why the elves and the dwarves may have been inclined to make their own place. And that's what this is. And they're not like the dwarves of Gaul Hadir, where they're basically Nazis. Right. They're separatists but they don't actively harm people that aren't them. That's not their goal. Their goal is literally just to be like, we're just gonna live isolated enough that when you do eventually do your next disaster, hopefully we're not directly in the path. Right, yeah, This it's just, it's a very, you know, it's an exclusive club. It's our, it's our Elks and Masons club. And you also have that spire, the snow spire. I think it's called this, I think it's the snow spire, but um, it's a glass and stone tower it's basically your repositories of magic. There's relatively open areas where students and others can learn magic and hone their magic and research magic. And then like, as the levels go up in the tower, they get more and more restricted until finally you get to magic where they just basically put it. It's basically the whole top of that tower is a, is a poison room. Magic goes in there, it never comes back out. They put very problematic stuff there. No one ever reads it. No one ever looks into it. You know, they check on it to make sure it's still there and that's it. Somebody would have to know what was in there for them to know what goes missing though. Yeah, they have a record and they have ways of checking to make sure that everything's in there, but no one ever takes anything out and no one ever handles anything once it Just, goes in. <laughs> they lock they lock like 12 books in there. They're like, okay, these 12 books are super evil and we will never speak of them or record their existence ever again. And then, you know, a decade later, they open the door and they're like, yep, one book, everything's in there still. Close it again. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah they, have, they have a way of making sure everything is in there, but they see themselves as the keepers of this knowledge, that they're basically, they know another war is going to come and they know it's gonna be bad. And they're trying basically to keep things as steady as possible. They're anticipating like a civilization's level war. Yes, absolutely. They are anticipating a planet threatening war and they were right. They've got at least two gods wars that they don't even know about that are still coming at this point. There's the demigods one that, that precipitates the events of rise of the demigods. And then there's the gods war, gods war that precipitates the events of your original podcast. It's kind of like this world's World War One and Two. Yeah. 
clearly this is going to come to a head at some point. I mean, at some point, humans who are warlike and primitive and everything, they're they're going to declare war on the perfectly balanced elven ecosystems. And there are human demigods. There's a lot of human demigods, and that is terrifying. And that's just because people will sleep with anything. Well, that's true. That's true. And humans, yeah. you know, have a proclivity that elves don't, yeah. right? Humans are notoriously promiscuous in the worlds of D&D. So they're isolationists. They're freaked out. They have retreated to this. Ani is a magical power, and actually hasn't even been built yet. So Ani's. I was yeah, I was about to it's ask. It's still that. a very impressive city. Ani is a gorgeous city. It's still the like New York City of the world, right? Right. But it's not elegant in the way that like if if Ani is New York, or actually not even New York, if Ani is like Beijing, right? Like just the largest city in the world. Sure. I would say that Ryland is more. I've, I don't. I don't want to say Paris. It's. 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 It's a little more elegant than that. It's a little bit smaller. It's built on the side of a mountain. Well, on an active volcano. It looks out over the bay. I mean, it is a. Tra- it's got a river that pours out of the basin of water at the top of the volcano and through the like some the center some of the city. Really idyllic village in like Nepal or something. It's a city. Like it's a proper city. It's about the size. Okay. I would say it's like it's 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 more in relation to like the size of a Seattle, and Rao is kind of a paradise, and you've decided to leave this paradise because you have been sent on a mission. Now you are of Ryland royalty of sorts. Is that fair? Of sorts. Yeah, the king is like my uncle mm-hmm. or something. I imagine it's really difficult to keep track of, of family. Is your lineage tracked through the people who raise you or is it tracked through, you know, the tree? It's, it's tree-based. It's like if you come from the same tree. And then if a tree grows a seed and then you plant that seed and then somebody's like, I, I grew another one and it gave me it, that's and like there'd be ways you could figure it out with magic. So that's legit. I'm sure people have tried that. You're my second cousin because you were born out of a tree that grew from a seed from the tree that I was born out of. As far as your question, which way do they follow? I'd say as far as like families and relational, like as far as love. Right. I would say it follows by who you were raised. Okay. But as far as like a royal lineage, you'd have to all come from the same tree. Right. The images that I'm having with this character is that there was a royal lineage. There were plenty of people on that royal lineage. So she basically got a seed, grew a tree, asked that tree for a child, and then killed the first tree, killing herself and her entire family, but ensuring that her child was the only one that would be king. big world shakeups a hundred years before the world shakeups. Well, this would be like early. This would be like early elf shit, like uh, five or 6,000 years ago, that kind of thing. Right. All of Calgan is only like a little over 10,000 years old. Okay. This would be like back when the elves still had empresses. Like there was a global elven rule in the past. And she was one of the, she was the last elven empress. Back in the... Before humans. The Renaissance, yeah. The golden age for, for our universe. <laughs> before yeah. humans. Yeah. And like some of the other races, like that'd be, bef- that'd be before humans, and it'd definitely be before... BWA, before walking apes. Yeah, right. All, all the ones that were evolved, like halflings and things like that. So the elves are basically Eldar from 40K, where they're just like humans or monkeys. That's, that's all <laughs> that's they all are. That's all they are. That's all they are. It's, it's, it's again... It's not in. I can't even. I can't even tell the difference between a, a human and a Giudari. Like they're just. They look. They they're all look the same, same to me. They look the same. They smell the same. You decided to leave this place because, again, you are of lower nobility. I think it's fair to say. Right? Yeah. And you. Yeah. Need- there's. There's like at least. At least a dozen people. Sure. Who's who stand to like inherit the throne before I would even like be considered right. an option, which is dangerous, frankly to have around. So those so they so you're kind of sent, right? They take all the lower nobles, the ones that are like 12th, 11th, 10th in line and they send them to go do right. things. So they're not sitting around the palace all day thinking about murder basically. Right. So you were sent on a busy errand. I would imagine you weren't just assigned. You were given a series of options and you could work towards something and you chose to work towards this particular project. I was pressured by my parents to do something with my life before my 
second century. Sure. I imagine that the the century milestones might be kind of similar yeah. to like to human decade milestones. Like you don't qualify for for, you know, elf AARP until <laughs> you're 600 yeah. or something like you that. Basically, like, you've you've done high school, you've done college, you've done grad, you've done grad school and you're still living at home like a year after grad school. Is that kind of where you're at right now? Yeah, kind of kind of that kind of thing. And I'm I'm a like an activist and like a bit of a revolutionary like I'm I talk about how the elves are like slaves to the ironwood trees and you know that we're mistreated by the other races and by the gods and we need to find a way to like free ourselves of these ironwoods if such a thing is even possible but if nothing else the other races owe us more respect and recognition than they give us puts in a weird place in elven society yeah. because you're at the place where you'd get the most listening right because because Ryland right. is very tolerant of ideas but there's also a bunch of dwarves here and I'm I'm talking but the dwarves don't care they wouldn't care they, okay. they wouldn't even stop to listen it's only I mean maybe a couple of them that are like history buffs right might stop right. to listen or religion buffs but mainly this is yeah. you talking to other elves and within that right. group I mean elves in general are very revenant of the ironwood trees right so I can see where you you would get a lot of pushback to, to that idea and my parents just want me to do something useful with my life because right. right now yeah, and not make yourself hated <laughs> yeah that too yeah. Probably a little of that and a little bit of like, you know, okay, listen, like the gods bound us to these trees. Yeah. You're never going to change that. And right. all you're doing is is talking in cafes. <laughs> you're just talking idealized bullshit to like six people right. who are willing to really. Because yeah. of, of the people who are listening, the majority are listening out of an academic exercise. Right. You've got like a dozen people who are like, yeah, right on. And that's pretty much. And that's probably like, like literally a dozen people. Yeah. So they. And of them, four are reliable. You need to go. You need to go do something useful with your life. And I'm like, you know, well, all right. I'm not accomplishing much. Why don't I review these projects that they've laid out before me and see if I think that any of these could in any way be useful? And I find the gate. The gate, the gate, the gate, the gate. Research project. This society of elves that I think it I think the world book says like once a century, they pack their whole civilization up, they move to a new part of Calgun, and they start documenting it in extensive detail. It's basically a a, a breakoff sect of Ryland that does this. They they kind of live in isolation even in Ryland. There's like a little side colony about a quarter way around the mountain. Yeah, and so they've found they found this gate, which I assume that we know that others exist yes. or not yet. This whole this whole project is it's it's heavily funded by Ryland because there are many people who are aware of the gates, who know what they are capable of and want to find all of them, basically, if they can find and investigate as much as possible. How do they know what they're capable of? Half through story, half through the tales the gods have actually told. Some of it is like magic, like magic like investigation rituals, or rituals. That kind of thing. Some of it is purely first person point of view from people who have seen one open. Okay. There's a lot of different pieces of information they're pulling together. Right. What they are primarily interested in now is doing firsthand research to try and pull some of this together and find out what's true, what isn't true, and how can they use this magic? Because the gates are what the gods built. The gods basically took the some of the building blocks of the Big Bang, of the origin of the universe, some of the original material that went along with that. And they were able to coalesce that into these blocks, these living blocks of bone and flesh and energy that they then form right. gateways out of to then reach into other dimensions and worlds and universes, pull content and creatures out of that and magic out of that and add that into Kalgun. Kalgun is a patchwork planet. It is ideas and thoughts from other worlds pulled into a single world. And those gates are how they got to those worlds. They're 
all inoperable and defunct now. They've just laid there dormant, but there's incredible residual magic within them. And within this particular archway that you're being sent out to go research, that magic level is at its highest it's ever been recorded. That level of divine energy is off the charts. So you all are okay. very interested. And this has been a very speedily put together expedition. Yeah, so that's the project that our Univar picked to go sort of tie himself to because what he sees here is an opportunity not just to make a name for himself, but to gain respect for himself. And if he's respected, people are more likely to listen to him when he talks. And if he's really, really fortunate, what he hopes is that he'll make a discovery that changes the course of elven history forever. Yeah, and I'd imagine that there's also some interest in the base science and what's going on here as well. Oh, definitely some, yeah. I mean, when you've got a thousand years of life ahead of you, learning things and discovering how they work would be like presumably one of the the only things to keep you occupied for that amount of time. Like also there'd be a different viewpoint on that. Like it would it, it would probably seem more inevitable. Yeah. Like learning new things and and creating things. Yeah. I would think would have to be the like accomplishments that you would like define yourself on. A thousand years? Like I mean the pyramids didn't it's a take long a thousand time. years. The no the Great Wall didn't take a thousand years. Yeah. Nothing is without your reach within your life lifetime you would you would see right. everything as accomplishable yeah as as almost inevitable as long as you put the effort into it right that's an insane way to think about anything it is it is which is probably exactly why my parents are pushing me to go do something with my life because right. i've spent the last you know however many decades just lounging about ryland wow, you have to really spend a lot of time fucking off for your elven parents to get worried you're running out of time right exactly <laughs> like the path that you're on right now is not going to be a productive one for you like you're gonna you're gonna turn 400 and you're really gonna regret the last two centuries of your life god imagine being an elven loser yeah that's gotta be rough you're on one of two fog cutters that is set out from ryland and is heading towards the eastern coast of Brennus. This is not official. So you are not going there with the permission of Brennus. Uh, this is a southern jungle of Brennus that is just wild land. Like no one comes down here. They don't. South of the Crimson Hills. Yeah, they don't go here. They just don't go here. It's not a place where they have any title. I mean, technically, it is part of the Brennesian kingdom, right? But they do not go down here and negotiate with these lands much more than for a few people do some trading with them. That's it. So you basically are just going to slip in there with your fog cutters and set up a small village and just hope, you know, you don't get caught. Basically, that's kind of the plan. You just roll into right. the, the deep the deep Louisiana swamps or something like it's that. Exactly it's exactly what just, it is. Yeah. Before there was just anything there. Here. Yeah. You're just going to roll yeah. in and just set up shop. Now, you were on the commander ship. And on that okay. ship is uh, Commander Siora, who is the head of the exp of the expedition in charge with the safety of all involved. She has final say over all activities, both military, which is the guards and everything, right? And the, and the people moving the stuff about. And then the science division, which is you, and I'd say about a third of the rest of them. I was going to say the science division should definitely not be me and the period goes there. No, no, it's you and others. You are part you are part of the science division because you're there as a uh, investigator more than just like a guy to carry boxes around and right. be the first line of defense. Yeah. So two thirds are more military answer directly to the government. And one third is more of this relatively independent you guys, basically, you know, so you you're part of this of this kind of break off society, but not everyone here is part of that break off society. There are the military is basically all official Ryland military. This is this. They are taking this mission very seriously because this is the most powerful thing they've ever found. Right. And are we um, are we meeting up with the elves who discovered this thing and are currently researching it? Or are we just like showing up and taking over the investigation? You basically got this information via uh, people who had heard stories and tales. And when you finally got a first person account of it, it was from someone who was from the jungles, but had left the jungle. So there has not okay. been an elf that has actually set foot in those jungles yet. You are the first ones. Oh, okay. So we're, we're going to be establishing the... Even if it's even the, real. That's why, that's okay. why it's, it's only 24 of you. 
right? Because like okay. you guys are there to find out if it even exists. And then uh, what did you say the, the commander's name was? Commander Soria. S-I-O-R-A. S-I-O-R-A. Actually, Siora. It's Siora. Mispronouncing my own name. Commander Siora. She is a wild elf ranger. Okay. I, I, that was going to be my next question. Is she is she an elf or is she something else? She is one of the ones that tends to the um, ironwood that ring your um, city. And while she's a wild elf, she's, you know, it's not they're not uncivilized. Right. I mean, you right. know, and she's like live exclusively in the woods. But that's where she's from. Yeah. I live I live in a city where, you know, there's a significant number of dwarves right. and the wild elves seem civilized compared to the 100 percent. Speaking of which, uh, Lieutenant Herva is a seventh level mountain dwarf cleric, a loyal follower of Baros, is serving as Commander Sura's second as well as the chief scientist on the mission. So serving as the second to the commander and is head of your division. OK, does Hevra or Herva? Have, sorry, Hevra, H-E-V-R-A, Hev, Hevra. Knowledge domain, the, presumably? Yeah, knowledge domain, absolutely. Oh, and she okay. is the second in command. Uh, then there's Lieutenant Logar, who is a sixth-level Dugar artificer. Logar is singularly focused on researching stones and crystals that can retain or even generate divine energy. That's all he cares about. He's very focused on that, very knowledgeable of it, doesn't really care about anything else. What's the... Um... What's the status of Godstone slash Seeker Stone uh, pre any God's Wars? Still certainly exists uh, because okay. going back through time, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears shed in just forming the world. And all of those would um, crystallize into Godstone. So they've always been part of the planet. There's, there are just a lot okay. more of them than they, and they were a lot more powerful because so much divine energy had been released when everyone was killed. And plus the world storms basically formed of it. So it just became more powerful and more prevalent okay. as the world continued. But right now they Got are it. definitely there. And that's the reason right. why they've been so keen on this research because they found Godstones. They've investigated Godstones. There was a large concentration of them in the rock and mountain around Ryland. They're not 100% sure why, but they were able to find a lot of them. Okay. And that led them naturally to the stones that build the gateways. So I've got um, Siora, Hevra, and Logar. Yep. And then the last one of note on your ship is Vogon, who is an elderly blind stone giant with the ability to identify any rock or stone by touch and taste. He can sense objects infused with divine energy further than any seeker staff. He's kind of like your divining rod to help find this gate and help investigate it in his own kind of unique way. The stone giants were native to the island of Ryland, to the mountain. Okay. You guys were better than most to native people. You still weren't great. And you firmly have taken their land. Okay. And pushed them further up the mountain and out of some of their traditional areas. So it's a, it's a, it's a tenuous relationship between the stone giants, what are left of them, and the elves and dwarves of Ryland. And how long have we been on the boat? You've been on the boat now for about, uh, let me see, from Ryland. It's going to take about three weeks, especially because you're going carefully. You're purposely avoiding coastlines. You're staying as, you know, as in the center of the ocean as you possibly can. Right. Also, so you can use your fog cutter's abilities, which are to generate fog. Unfortunately, when they do, you can't see either. Right. So it can be very dangerous if it's if you're in areas where there's expected to be a lot of traffic. We don't have the, the steel beard AI installed on this module. Correct. These are the basic mods, yeah. exactly. These are the older ones as well. Right, yeah. You can see land now. You've you've caught your first sight of land. Okay. And it's um, dead of night. So you'll well, it's it's approaching midnight. So you'll be able to arrive at night and just kind of slip in. What would you be doing on the boat in these last few hours? What have you been doing? He's the least qualified person here. Sure. Most of these people are experts in their field. Vogon can sense divine rocks from however far away. Logar is an expert in all of that kind of thing. Very similar. It sounds like those two are both kind of the, they're the geologists on the mission. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not a geologist I'm not a knowledge domain cleric. I'm a first level wizard who doesn't technically even have a school specialization yet because I think that happens at level two. Correct. Uh, right. <laughs> so even I'm after like, grad school, you're still a first level wizard. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 200 years old after grad school, you know, 
you majored in creative writing. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and you just recently made a turn towards science. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I, I took I took some classes. I, I took some science classes as electives. Now that I'm thinking about, it, though, I could see it the other way. I mean, if you are an elf and you've got a thousand years. Right. It would be kind of easy to fall into this. I got time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I could see I could see slacking your way through it as an elf. Yeah, I imagine a lot of young elves, a lot of young elves probably do actually like really Mm -hmm. struggle to get that momentum going, knowing that you've got 800 years left of time to accomplish anything. Yep, especially in a especially in an elven city like Ryland. Right. Where there is clearly a limited amount of room they can work with. Yeah. So everything's a little, little bit more stagnant in Ryland, a little bit more traditional in Ryland, which also is is a fitting of who the people are. You've got like the uh, the really type A elves who who have all their shit together, like from from the time that they're like, you know, 40 or something. They're like they know what school they're going to go to. They know what they're going to major in. They you know, they're already like getting ready for political office and on knee and like the term would be they say out of the leaf, like out of the leaf. They were ready to do this. They have all their plans for everything all together. And then you get the other elves like me. I got almost 800 years left to do whatever. Like, yeah, I'll get there. I'm not in a hurry. I love it. There was this insufferable elf at school that I knew. Turns out it was Franny's dad. Right. Of course it was. That'd be perfect. The whole time. Like he just, he just, he knew exactly what he wanted, exactly what he was going to do. He's going to move to Ani. He was Mm going to be an ambassador Mm -hmm. from the kingdom to Ani and everything else. And it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Franny's dad. And you know who was the um, head of the school? Because there's one magical school in Ryland. So you would have gone to that. It's basically run by the tower. Yeah. And you know who was the head of that at the time? Would have been Haldir's grandma. I was going to say, was it it Haldir's grandma? Yeah, it was Haldir's (laughs) grandma. So you knew her. And she was a foreboding and scary presence back then. Uh, So, yeah. you Right. And she's... We're related in some way. Yeah, you all kind of are. Yeah, yeah, you are. Well, no, because isn't... Isn't Haldir, he's a noble right. and, and has... Well, yes, you're all from the same... After yeah. after Haldir... You're all from the same tree. Yeah, I was going to say, after Haldir, like, Anakin on Mustafar's his brother in the lava when the volcano erupts, <laughs> yes. he's, like, basically next in line to be king of Ryland, isn't he? Or something like that? Haldir is from the root of the tree. Uh-huh. Anyone can go up to any tree and ask for a child. So you don't have to be royalty to go up and ask for a child. Okay. So your sure. mom went up and asked, or maybe your mom's mom or your mom's mom, mom, whatever, whoever formed this right. offshoot. Some right. Whoever formed, you yeah. know, like how sometimes in a tree, the trunk splits very early. That makes sense. Yeah. So you came in a little later and you're from this sub. So yeah, could you be king? Sure. But a lot of people would have to die. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's actually a really interesting, like, complication to the whole idea of this royal lineage of, like, Mm -hmm. if we derive it from the tree, the fact that any fucking elf anywhere in the world and and technically even non-elves, right? Like, yes, you could get two dwarves that walk up to this tree and they ask 100 percent. Can we please have a child? And the tree might be like, yeah, you know what? You're pretty cool, dwarves. It's totally happened. Have an elf baby. It's it's another reason why people tend to be very protective of their trees and secretive of them. They right. don't tell people about their trees or where their trees are. Yeah. And more uh, yeah. more prominent families would have guards, personal guards around their trees at all times. Which kind of defeats the purpose of trying to hide well, what the tree is. They but would, they wouldn't once have you're like powerful a, they, enough, you don't well, care no, anymore. They wouldn't have like a crossing and shit. They'd have their elves. They'd be hiding in the trees. Oh, okay. That's fair. Like a little duck shack where they do, where they hide those little duck shacks yeah. in the trees, right? They'd have something like that. Yeah, the go little, spend, like, like a deer blind. Yeah, you'd go spend like six months on duty and then rotate out. Yeah. Aren't ironwood trees visually distinctive from other trees like you would you would have to think that this kid would know but in this situation there just could be an ironwood that just like a seed got into this forest oh sure thousands you know hundreds of miles away from the ironwood and they just happened yeah. across it and these elves have been guarding it for centuries etc you know it'd be that kind of thing the one lone carried ironwood. there by an african yeah, swallow exactly right yeah yeah <laughs> all right so you first monty python yeah. reference now we're in it's not too bad for D no, honestly actually so you are from this offshoot branch, which is why, again, I like that idea yeah, a lot. You need something else to do. And this is the thing that you've been that you and your parents have both decided you're going to do. And now you are within uh, sight of shore after three weeks at sea. How do you feel? 
I'm probably pretty excited on on the ship. I don't imagine there's a whole lot for me to do. No, I'm largely along this mission kind of as a figurehead. Like, you know, the crown doesn't really know what to do with me. I'm right. not royal. Right. But I also can't just get ignored because I. Well, you are royal. Sort royal. of am royal. Right. Yeah. yeah you I'm are not, royalty. I'm. Yeah, I'm probably the the elven equivalent of like a bastard child yeah well right? yes i would say that would be the equivalent of it but it's but it, but it's like you're not the bastard child like your great grandmother right. was so at yeah. this point you're kind of like i mean yes you're not really family in some people's right. views but for the most of them you're just family when you're when you're drawing the line of succession it doesn't run through my family but my family technically has to get considered for it because of of you know for like legality for technicalities your mom is really likable okay your dad's a little stoic but your mom is really likable and so like she holds a lot of sway in the court just by being likable because again it's it's a family right so even though she's not that high up the rank she gets her way a lot just because she can charm people it's hard to do with an elf they're resistant to charm there was a magical charm elves can be flattered just like anyone else no so um so yeah, our universe has largely been sent off on this just to to demonstrate that the crown is invested in the success of this mission. Absolutely. That's why they sent our Univar along. Absolutely. And you're not the only one. Like there's a couple people that are loyal sure. lineage, you know, that are lower lineage too, or that are just important in general. Like they, like uh, the kids of wealthy merchants and things like that. Right. There's a couple right. people exactly. all along here to add weight to it and also to help secure funding because it was not a cheap thing to do. And certainly right. sure, even yeah. now sending off two fog cutters is a big deal. Like those are very expensive, yeah. not really money-wise, but just like time-wise and magic-wise, those are expensive ships to make. Yeah. So our Univar, you know, was told like things like, you know, make sure that you put the interests of Ryland ahead of the safety of, you know, the rest of the group, secure life form, all other priorities, eliminated, crew expendable type thing. Certainly the guards, certainly the ones that aren't royal. Yeah. These are your parameters, you know, go represent the interests of the Ryland crown. You're probably not going to have to do anything. Let's be real. You're right. Not individually important. However, you have to represent the crown while you're out. So conduct yourself with decorum. And you have one of those like leather bound notebooks with the leather strap that you just wrap around it and then tuck under to close. Right. And you've got like a, like a nice writing set and you actually are a pretty good artist. And you have a way of word. You did a study, creative writing for years, right? Right, right. yeah. I majored yeah. in creative yeah. writing. Yeah, exactly. So you are actually, yeah. you keep a very detailed journal, both in oh drawings and in writing. I, I majored in English lit in real life. I just imagined what having to study elven lit would be. Yeah. Like, there's only maybe a thousand years of English literature if you go back to like Beowulf, which I think was written in like 800 AD or something like that, I'm, I, this is my degree. Somebody's going to just roast me for the fact that that, that timeline is way off. I, I probably should just look it up and, and correct myself now before, before somebody else does. But you go right ahead. You paid real money for that degree. You take all the time you need. Certain dating periods to the manuscript between 975 and 1025. So I was, I was relatively close. I was a little bit too old. The point is, is that there's only been writing for like a thousand years. There's only there's only been. Yeah, exactly. We've only had, you know, pseudo English literature for like a thousand years, which is one lifetime for an elf. If it's only been 10,000 years, then there's only been 20 generations. Probably. Let's assume that elves are more. That, that elves wait longer than human beings do sure. because their it bodies don't really break down the way that humans do. They're different. They are more plant-like. They don't have to give birth either. So Correct. Exactly. They don't waste all that energy. All they have to do is, is raise the child. Yeah. Some elves opt, opt to breastfeed because they can, but that's the extent of it. Trust me, as a, as a parent, there's, there's a lot of energy that goes into raising a child outside of just breastfeeding. <laughs> My back has been sore for months. So they'd wait about, let's say, halfway through their lifetime, right. usually, on average. So if you split the, if you take 10,000 years, it's average of 1,000 years, you split that in half to 500 years, right. and you get 20 generations of elves. That's nothing. Uh, 20 generations of elves, which is the equivalent for people of what, like, 
400 years. Yeah, that's not much at all. That's nothing. Yeah, which only jumps back to like the 1600s. So, although with people, you would you would probably start at about 30 years, which makes the math yeah. harder. So maybe it, maybe it, even less. In, yeah, yeah. So yeah. like 300 years. Maybe. Well, I mean, you you've got you've got all the like people from Jersey that lower that average a lot by having kids when they're like <laughs> That's 16. True. So That's very true. Apologies uh, to listeners from Jersey. True. No, don't apologize. They deserve it. They know. They, you know. Yeah. You know. So yeah. So there's only been. Like 20 generations of elven writers then. 20 generations of, of thinkers. That's that's crazy to think that there'd be like 10,000 years of history. Yeah. 20 generations. So probably not a ton of literary exploration and like new genres and stuff. Yeah. It makes it interesting, doesn't it? Because it's, it's like as far as like cities and bridges and towers and big things, right? They'd usually get it right. Because it's long thought out things that you could plan for a long period of time and make it correctly. But the things where it's like you need young, youthful blood to think of things, you need people that are right. going to challenge and and not accept what's already been out there and push new ideas and new music and new thoughts that might stagnate a bit with the elves. Man, if people unsubscribed for Kay talking about like the first question being, what does your character look like? I can't wait for them to get to my character. And there's a 15 minute discussion about elven literature that doesn't even exist. Right, right. That's not real. <laughs> right. It's right. We're just putting up this pontificate on utter bullshit right now. Don't don't mind us while we spend 10 minutes talking about about what elven literary history would look like. This is this is top notch podcasting. So you were on the boat and you have sight of land. Yep. Shouting back and forth. The ships are close enough where they can shout to each, to each other and signal each other uh, with magic, basically, like the equivalent of right. flags, but with magic. Message. Message. Yeah, they would just message back and forth. There would be specific elves who would stand on each ship like flagmen, just messaging back and forth and yelling that information to, to, you know, to the people around them, right? So those two ships are pulling in. The sails are coming down. People are getting ready to—you guys are going to drop anchor. Uh, there's, there's basically a bay that you're sailing into off the ocean, and you're going to drop anchor in this uh, Crescent Moon Bay, then row to shore. So you're going to be part of the first group to row to shore. So out, out of the 24 of you, I would say 12 of you are going to shore initially. Okay. Six from each boat. All right. So Commander Siori is going to come. Makes sense. Lieutenant Hevra is going to come. Lieutenant Logar is going to remain behind. And Vogon is going to remain behind as well. So just you, some crew, some guards, and the first two are going ashore. Okay. So I'm in a boat rowing our way to shore. You guys spotted land, let's say an hour uh, before sunset, right? So the sun is set by now. It is dark. It is especially dark uh, because there's a lot of clouds overhead and the moon doesn't really peek out. And you guys are heading towards shore with your um, light sensitive elven eyes. Okay. And the dwarves too, I suppose. Yeah. So you're all, yeah, you're all are fine. We should be just fine. Yeah. No, no worthless humans here. Right. And I was going to say, unless for some like absolutely unfathomable reason, there's there's a human along with us in our Rylindian delegation. Well, they're not allowed in Ryland. So, yeah, I was going to say a city in which humans are put to death for the audacity of entering. Yeah, and very likely there are very many uh, humans along this expedition. There are exceptions given to certain humans. There are you guys have certainly welcomed uh, envoys from foreign lands before. So it's not like it's, it's like human beings can never set foot inside there, but there still isn't any living there. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. So your boats make it to shore. Uh, the guards began shouting guard things to each other. Right. Hello, hello, ascend. Taking up a perimeter and setting up tents and just establishing a beachhead. Right. Others than that, uh, Lieutenant Hevra immediately demands that um, her tent is set up first. Sure. And as soon as it is set up, goes into it and begins preparing her work. Okay. And says that she'll call upon you when you are needed. We're the first foray into this jungle, so we don't even know. It's kind of like that scene from Lost where you're on that beach. It's a pretty clear beach, but the jungle is like a very thick, prominent line close 
to the edge of the water. Like there might right. be a hundred feet, right? And then there's just this incredibly thick jungle. It doesn't ease into it just whatsoever. Like just like a wall of jungle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And we don't even technically like we're not meeting anybody here or anything, so we don't even know where the archway is. Correct. We just know you don't know where it is. Somewhere in this jungle. The only clues you have is that you know that it's set into the side of a mountain and you can see the tips of a mountain just above the tree. So you have a general idea which way to walk. All right. And that's presumably why Vogan is along is because he'll be able to sense in theory, he should be able to sense this archway from just friggin' miles away. He should be able to keep you on track once you're in the jungle and you can't see the mountain. Noted. So I've just got some time to kill here on the beach. Yeah. All right. Everyone else is either setting up or in discussions for planning, and you're kind of left just there. We said the jungle starts really aggressively. Does it start with like full height trees yeah. or do they kind of taper up? No, it's like like there's no tapering whatsoever. It's like the jungle just halted at this line. It's like it's like a Minecraft biome. It's like it goes from from trees to ocean just straight away. Well, if possible, then I would like to kind of get our bearings and just climb a tree. Okay, maybe and get kind of an oversight. See from a higher vantage point, because I imagine the trees are taller than like the lookout or the crow's nest on the ships. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a it is again, it is a very ominous wall that is facing you. Right. So how would you pick your tree? Probably look for one that was. A, tall. Mm-hmm, fair. B, ideally either covered in like ivy or vines or some sort of jungle creeping growth mm-hmm. that would lend itself well to handholds or that um, had a lot of like limbs sticking out that would be easy to kind of go between. Gotcha. Like a, a, I know pine trees are pretty easy to climb because they have a lot of They're branches. basically built like a ladder. They have a lot of uh, they right. have a lot of branches at 90 degree angles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. If there's if there's a uh, if there's a conveniently ladder like tree <laughs> to climb, I'll pick that right. one. Uh, otherwise, I'll I'll look for basically the tallest tree I can see that doesn't look like it would be a huge chore to climb up or back down again afterwards. Roll me a knowledge nature. Roll me a nature cuz we're playing 5e. Right, right, right. Intelligence, nature. Yeah. You know what's funny is is as as often as I laugh at you when I listen to the podcast, you said knowledge, nature. It didn't, it even, didn't even phase, phase me. I'm just it. like, yeah. yeah, it just yeah. I'm just gonna roll it. Got it. I know exactly what you need here. Uh, natural fifteen. Okay. And my intelligence is sixteen. So plus three is eighteen. Yeah. So you kind of like you kind of like walk. I'd say like up to the edge, maybe twenty feet away. Almost like you're surveying a line of troops as you're walking along just appraising each tree you see and you're already spotting things like okay well that ivy those leaves are an odd color like almost a pink where you'd normally see a red or a yellow on the inside with the green at the edges and oh that's a odd butterfly it shimmers i haven't seen one like that so you're already kind of picking up things that you've never seen before and eventually you settle on this one tree and it is taller and wider than the ones around it and it must have been here for a while because it is so covered in spirals of vine, this rope-like vine that there's just handhelds everywhere. It looks like it was built to be climbed. Provided, you know, that there's not uh, like a tree with a built-in elevator or something that I could just, just <laughs> climb up instead. Yes. I'll start I'll start attempting to scale this tree. Okay, I would like you to roll me an athletics check at advantage because you picked a really good tree. I did attempt to, you know. Oh, well, you did good. You did well. I'm not, I'm not the strongest of boys, no, so. But you're a smart boy. I rolled, I rolled nines on both dice. Okay, good start. Yeah, my strength's 13, so that's 10. Okay, 10. If it's, if it's not a it's hard enough not tree to, to climb. Yeah, no, that's actually fine. I mean, a knotted rope is five, so I'd imagine a tree that was built to be climbed is no more than a 10. So yeah, you're fine. The real question will be the, the, you know, the endurance of the situation, because if it's that tall, this is a lot of climbing that's about to happen. It is, but I mean, you know. Again, you got nothing else to do, so you're just pacing yourself, and it's big enough. Yeah, I guess that's and true. It's got enough branches coming out of it that you can stop and pause and think for a moment. But you even like, even like half, you know, halfway up, you sit for a second to catch your breath at a particular nook-like right. branch where it hits the main trunk, and you pull out your journal and you sketch a couple of leaves before tying it back up and heading more towards the top and finally breaking over the canopy. You can see a more clear line to the mountain now. The trees appear. It's difficult to tell from this angle and distance, but they appear to, to march right up to the edge 
of the mountain. Okay. So that it looks like the mountain will just from will, will just kind of appear out of the edge of the jungle, and it looks like it's just as thick there as it is where you are, and at the center. Like it never seems to. There's a couple areas where it looks like it might be little openings, like there might be some clearings, but not much. Most of it is just thick jungle all the way through. Okay. And I can't see any um, like streams or rivers or anything that that cut through the jungle at all and make a make a gap in this like unassailable wall of jungle. Roll me survival. Twelve. It's really difficult to tell. Again, the foliage is so thick and the trees are so tall that they're clearly growing up and over rivers and then joining into each other. So it makes it really difficult to see signs of it within the canopy. Sure. However, there's some cloud movement in certain areas in kind of a snake-like pattern that suggests water beneath it. So you think maybe there's definitely some rivers and you're seeing evidence of them, but it's going to be hard to pinpoint them down. From where I am up here at the top of this tree, um, I'm going to glance back at the camp. How are they going with uh, with the their tent pitching really well. I mean, again, th- half of your crew is dwarves. So, okay. <laughs> this, so this kind of stuff goes well. It's like, watch the Amish put up a bar and they're done in like six hours. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're very, very industrious, uh, tent <laughs> they, pitchers. They the just dwarves. like physical labor. They really enjoy it. They're just good at it. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a little bit of time while I'm up here to attempt kind of a, a rough, um, uh, what's the, there's a word for it. It's like a, like a cartographer's like sketch, basically. There, I'm pretty sure there's a word for like that kind of like working, like a field almost map. Almost like those almost. pictograph maps that you would like get on the back of a Denny's menu, right? It's yeah. Like, it's like more kind of suggestions and drawings and notes to make into a proper map later. Right. Yeah. I'll kind of I'll kind of do like you know here's the coast that we're on and here's where camp is and like yeah. you know I can see these clearings in the forest here here and here roughly. To where we are. Yeah. And then, you know, there's the clouds that indicate there might be a body of water moving under there. And then there's the mountain over there. And just kind of like outline as much as I can. Sure. A rough map. And I would say you take, do you want to take 20? Right. We're going to use this mechanic that it's, doesn't exist in should, 5e. It shouldn't use it all the time, but it should exist because it's a brilliant mechanic. Right. You're just taking 20. Yeah. You are good at this. You've done this before. Right. It doesn't make any sense for you to roll and fuck it up. No. You would, you would, right. you would be at least competent in this as long as you took the time to do it. So you're taking the time. As long as you took the and time you to do it. And you make a yeah. very yeah, competent think, map of the area or a sketch. Yeah, I think, I think that's what I'll do. It makes sense. So if it's intelligence-based, that'll give me a 23 total. Perfect. Yeah, so you so you spend a good deal of time sketching that. And again, it's at, it's at night, you know, so there's certainly details, even with your eyes, you're not seeing that you would have to do a, right. again during the day. But you make a very good initial sketch of the immediate area, the coastline, how you came in, where the trees are, where you think mountains and possibly rivers and other features are, where you've seen elevations in the land, the kind of sand, maybe a few notes on a couple of plants and animals. And after a couple hours, you're beginning to grow tired. And it looks like the camp is the, the, the a fire's been lit and the camp is pretty much done. And the smell of cooked uh, raw, I'm sorry, um, cooked root vegetables uh, hits your nose. And it's it's good. It's the first time you've been to light a fire in a while. Sure. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it 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 smells pretty good. We're getting ready to record more God's Fall with the main crew in DC, but we need to raise funds in order to do so. So we're releasing a limited amount of the first run overstocks of the God's Fall World Book for sale at godsfall.com/worldbook. We'll use the funds to purchase remote recording kits for the players, so God's Fall will continue to sound as good as it always has. We're also posting early episodes and a bunch of behind-the-scenes content on patreon.com slash vardian. So stop by and check us out. Mm-hmm.